Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to this special edition of the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. The Green Nonprofit Show. You know going green is the right thing to do for the environment and your organization. But budgets are tight, and knowing how to get started can be a mystery. This show provides the practical advice on going green you and your colleagues need. While each week the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart Radio Show provides advice on fundraising, board development, and social media, this special edition is all about helping you go green on a nonprofit budget. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, this show draws from experts around the world and his book, The Nonprofit Guide to Going Green, available on Amazon.com and at GreenNonprofits.org. Guests on the Nonprofit Coach, The Green Show, are leaders in their field who share tips and trade secrets for nonprofits. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. Remember, just like our weekly show, this is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Just click on radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of the nonprofit coach, The Green Show, Ted Hart. And welcome here to this very special edition of the Nonprofit Coach, The Green Show. Uh, this is Wednesday, November 9th, and I'm coming to you live from the nation's capital. It's a beautiful fall day here, very uh, bright sunshine, uh, bright blue sky. Uh, this is a special edition of a Nonprofit Coach, which is focused on helping charitable organizations go green. Just like the main Nonprofit uh, Coach show, you can call in and ask questions of our page two expert today, uh, who is Adrian Caps, who I will introduce in just a few moments. And that number is 347-324-3080. Those of you who are familiar with the show know that you can also join us over in the chat room, and I see a number of people over in the chat room. You can type your questions there if you would like, or you can email me at tedhart at tedhart.com. Now, over here on the special edition of the Nonprofit Coach, The Green Show, just like with the regular show, we do have our radio links. Now, I'll be getting to our radio links in just a few moments. Now, let me tell you where you can find the radio links to follow along with this show. There are actually two places. You can go to greennonprofits.org, and in the upper navigation, you'll see a tab that reads radio links. If you click there, you'll be able to see all the radio links for our prior show in addition to today's show. As always, here on The Nonprofit Coach, you can also follow along at tedhart.com. Click on radio links there. Enough of the introductions. Let's get on with the show to Page One News. With thanks 
Thanksgiving here in the United States right around the corner. It's not too early to start thinking about Christmas. Over in the radio links, you will find that GE Consumer and, and Industrial is making the national Christmas tree this year greener than it has ever been before by developing and employing their latest energy-efficient lighting technology. GE is also celebrating its 49th consecutive year designing America's premier holiday tree. You'll be able to read all about the uh, specific in, uh, direction that they are taking, making the nation's national Christmas tree even greener than before. Over in the radio links at Green Nonprofits, remember, look in the upper navigation or at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. Next up here on the nonprofit uh, coach, the Green Show, in the radio links, uh, we have a few environmental tips for you. This comes to us uh, from Watch Mojo, a video over on YouTube. Uh, so let's take a listen at some environmental tips that may help your organization go green. Hi, I'm Rebecca Brayton, and welcome to WatchMojo.com. It seems everyone's going green these days, and if you'd like to participate in the trend, we've got a few tips for you. The Environmental Protection Agency reports that the United States produces approximately 220 million tons of garbage each year. This is equivalent to burying approximately 82,000 football fields six feet deep with compacted garbage. First step, I know it sounds easy, but always recycle. Sometimes you may think, if I don't recycle just this once, it's no big deal, but it is. Recycling saves resources, saves energy, and protects the environment. The plastic bags we use every day are harming the every day. Each year, an estimated 500 billion to 1 trillion plastic bags are consumed. That translates to 1 million per minute. So, be sure to bring your reusable bag with you when you go shopping. Take a reusable mug with you to the coffee shop instead of using a paper cup or styrofoam. Styrofoam is bad for the environment because it doesn't dissolve, and it can stay in landfills for up to 400 years. Most people drink out of these, but did you know it takes 47 million gallons of oil to produce the water bottles Americans use each year, and most of them end up in landfills anyway? So why not use a reusable plastic water bottle? See? Going green isn't that hard. Some nice practical tips there that can help you get started in making your organization more green. You can watch the video and listen to it over in the radio links today at greennonprofits.org. Click on radio links. Next up in the radio links, you will find uh, a very interesting uh, backgrounder uh, that comes to us from New Zealand's Business Council on Sustainable Development, uh, the Business Guide to Energy Efficiency. Now, as you're clicking through this link that we provide you over in the radio links today, one of the things I specifically wanted to draw your attention to is their quick list. When you click on their quick list, it allows you to go through and start making um, assessments of your organization in such key areas as lighting, water use and water heating, refrigeration, your building, heating and cooling systems, and transportation. What this does is actually raise some of the issues. It also has an energy user calculator uh, that you can use in terms of putting in the equipment and the wattage and starting to uh, calculate your energy usage for your organization. So lots built into uh, this really terrific uh, guide available over at the New Zealand Business Council. You can find a link directly to this at greennonprofits.org. Click on radio links or at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. 
Now, I want to draw your attention uh, here on The Green Show to the Green Nonprofits Organization. There are partners with The Green Show, and this is a nonprofit charitable organization whose mission it is to help all charities go more green. What I want to do is draw your attention to their certification program. In their certification program, you can click on certification on their website, and there are two ways that you can start working towards becoming a certified green nonprofit. One is you can download the PDF form, and we ask you not to print it. It's more uh, user uh, environmental friendly if you use it in digital form. Uh, but there's also an online certification point saver where you can just create a profile, save your points, and the goal here is to earn 100 points towards certification and then to submit your application. For those of you who may already have certification, you will find that we have just released the recertification document, which is available to your organization by downloading that on greennonprofits.org. So we wanted to draw your attention to that because we certainly encourage all nonprofit organizations to take the extra step and to become more green. With that, I'm going to uh, wrap up page one news and get right over to our uh, page two expert. Don't forget that as we get to page two, uh, you can call in and ask questions at 347-324-3080. Let's get on over to page two. It's my pleasure today to welcome Adrian Caps, uh, who is not only an expert uh, in areas of the environment and is a co-editor and author in the book, The Nonprofit Guide to Going Green, and I was very pleased uh, to have the opportunity to work with Adrian Caps uh, on, uh, on this book, but she is currently the Assistant Dean for Development and External Relations at the UC Davis School of Education, where she has overall responsibility for coordinating and establishing the goals, policies, and procedures for development activities and for the effective implementation of school-wide development, public relations, alumni relations, fundraising, and selected university-wide marketing functions at the school. Now, since 1998, uh, when she finished her undergraduate degrees and began a career in the nonprofit sector, Adrian has raised over $30 million for a variety of causes, including at-risk youth, mental health, and higher education in Virginia, New York, and California. She certainly has a very broad view of the nonprofit sector, and our topic with Adrian Caps today is chair fundraising, but from the angle of greening your nonprofit fundraising effort. She is a certified fundraising executive, CFRE, since 2004. Adrian has published several articles in Advancing Philanthropy and also edited and contributed a chapter to this book, The Nonprofit Guide to Going Green, which was published in December of 2010. So just coming up on the one-year anniversary of the launch of this book, which means a lot to us to be able to uh, have Adrian here with us uh, on The Nonprofit Coach. Welcome here to The Nonprofit Coach, Adrian Caps. Thanks, Ted. I'm really excited to be with you today. 
Adrian, uh, the the book has been so well received, and you and Matt Bauer uh, were so instrumental in helping get this book off the ground. And of course, working with dozens of authors from around the world who are experts in a, a variety of different topics uh, related to helping charities go green. This book covers everything from travel to water use to greening your office. So a lot of different topics. What I wanted to do is actually start off with the book itself, and then I want to specifically get into your area of expertise and your topic of greening uh, fundraising. The Nonprofit Guide to Going Green, what, what do you think this means to the nonprofit sector to have a book specifically for the sector itself? Um, I actually was really excited about being a part of that the project that we worked on together um, as an editor and as a cha chapter author. I thought it was quite um, ahead of its time, and that's why I was sort of attracted to it. Sort of, We've been talking about some of these kinds of things in the nonprofit community, but um, to bring it all together and to bring all the experts together and author all the authors together was amazing. I learned a lot through the process being an editor and working with several of the other authors. Um, I learned a lot, exactly like you say, across events and water usage and buildings, and um, it was really exciting to be a part of that. I, I think in, in putting the, the, the book together, certainly it was it was a thrill to have the opportunity to work with you and to get uh, to know you and Matt Bauer. And uh, if there's if there's anything that uh, helps you learn a lot about someone, it's writing a book together. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Exactly. I don't <laughs> uh, there's think a lot we, that goes into, even... uh, uh, into creating a, a book like this. But it, it occurred to me as we were putting this together, and of course we came from the perspective of there's you know an awful lot written about going green, uh, but at that time there was nothing that brought it all together from a nonprofit perspective. Is It was almost uh, interesting, uh, more interesting to know what we didn't know uh, than what we did know for the nonprofit sector. Yeah, I would agree. Um, it was It was a fascinating... As I said, you know, to be able to talk to all the different authors, and we were talking from people all over the country. Um, I, the examples that I used, and even in my chapter, were organizations that um, I found, you know, by just talking to people on social media um, about what they were doing in their own organizations. So I learned a tremendous amount, and I thought it was just, it was a lot of fun. After all the work that we did, we actually the Ted, you and I, and met and Matt had only all met for the first time after we published the book. So, so they published just, the, yeah, very yeah. interesting. Very <laughs> so interesting. All this work we did together, um, I think that's even a testament to, you know, going green that we, you know, we put this whole thing together and produced it and uh, had never even, you know, met face-to-face -face at that time. Right, we so. weren't flying all over the world. We weren't... Yep. Uh, Yep. Adding to the carbon footprint uh, uh, for this book, and, and particularly pleased that, uh, as you know, and I want to let our listeners know uh, today that in putting this book together, we also uh, affected the folks uh, over at John Wiley and Sons. This was uh, the very first book uh, that that is truly a green book that they uh, uh, printed, uh, in that it was printed uh, on recycled paper with soy ink uh, in electronic format. There's also a print version uh, as well. Uh, but one of the things that we really push for is that the book be affordable, uh, be available to uh, charities of all sizes, uh, but also um, uh, establish this footprint of being on recycled paper and soy ink. Yeah, I think that was extremely impressive. Well, we cover a lot of different uh, topics, and, and certainly uh, you're working on a, a very large campus um, that uh, that has a, a large carbon footprint itself, and, and certainly uh, your your involvement there. 
Your expertise in the topic that we want to talk about today is greening uh, the, a fundraising program. On sort of a macro uh, effort, um, are there uh, a lot of things that are different from a development office perspective and a fundraising perspective as opposed to a charity overall? Um, well, I've actually been talking to, you know, since we scheduled this time um, for the show today, I've been talking to a lot of my colleagues going back to the organizations that I uh, provided as examples in the book, you know, now that it's a couple of years later, um, what has changed over the last couple of years in terms of greening your fundraising programs. And really, it seems like a lot of um, what's sort of pushing us along is the technology and I guess even in the last three years budgets <laughs> into the into the greening uh, process for, for fundraising programs. So technology is moving so quickly um, that we're, you know, without even really consciously talking about greening our fundraising efforts, we're sort of being brought along um, by right. younger audiences, by younger donors, um, by organizations. I work with a couple of organizations and um, one that I'm on the board of is an all-volunteer organization. We have board members across the country. So in order to, um, you know, that's sort of also bringing us into the, you know, the idea of greening all of our efforts, not only fundraising. So. Right. Right. It's it's interesting because you you brought up a couple of uh, sort of influential uh, perspectives for greening your fundraising program. Uh, one is a, a particular interest of younger donors uh, to know that they are supporting organizations that are also environmentally uh, friendly, but also the the cost saving aspect of moving into more green uh, aspect. So let's kind of take those apart a little bit because I think both of those uh, are are important to understand from a a, a development officer's perspective. Talk a little bit about what's influencing young people and why would it matter to them that a charity be green? Um, well, I've seen, seen or heard some of the uh, research about, I guess, the millennials and um, generations after them. Um, really, their focus is, I mean, they they were born with some type of technology in their hand. Um, and so they're not used to at all being without you know, an iPhone, a smartphone, um, you know, iPad, some sort of um, technology and a techno uh, device in their hands. So um, I think it's it's natural for them to, um, again, you know, it's not even like a conscious decision, but around the greening, but that it's just a part of the way that they live and operate in their world. And then um, secondarily, I think, you know, that they are more, some of the characteristics that are described of um, younger generations are to be more conscious of, more socially conscious in general, but very specifically to, um, you know, the impact that all things might have on the, you know, on the way that we operate in terms of, um, Environmentally, socially, politically—you know—they tend to be a pretty active uh, group of uh, young people. So I think, from many different perspectives. Uh, so, in their in their activism, in in uh, in a lot of ways, would you say that uh, for millennials or for uh, younger donors, um, they do equate the use of technology as being more green? Um, I'm not sure, actually. I mean, I think that's just, you know, it's just what they know, that they're, um, you know, that every generation you picks up those, those types of things and they just it just becomes a part of their life. 
So I think in some ways technology doesn't necessarily, you know, I don't know that it's really a conscious um, effort to be more green, but I think that they would, you know, if they thought about it that way, they would say, yes, you know, that I am contributing um, in a way by using technology and not, you know, printing out things and sending documents around and sending photos around and, and all of that. I'm doing it all um, online through technology. But um, I think it's just... So a, for charities, the of, use of technology and moving in, in that direction and being more green is not just a, a good idea rolling forward, but is in a lot of ways becoming a core competency of an expectation of supporters. Absolutely. I think if we're looking at, you know... Um, I guess Gen X, millennials, and uh, the next generations. Yeah, it's it's something that they're going to expect. They're, you won't be able to communicate or get a, gain an audience with them increasingly in any other way. Right. There's a study that came out from Intuit that uh, shows that by 2020, which is effectively only eight years away, uh, fully 40% of Americans will be coming of age. Uh, in a time where they did not know a time without social media, did not know a time without the use of the Internet and and mobile technology. I I think that's a a huge percentage and and certainly points us in the direction of of some of the things that you cover uh, in your chapter um, regarding the the traditional fundraising method as you outline it in your chapter and then the transition to what you call the new green paradigm. Can you talk to us a little bit about that transition? Um, Certainly I think probably most of our listeners have an idea of what you mean by traditional fundraising, but what is this transition that you speak of? Um, Well, I guess the way I approached this, um, my chapter, was really that, you know, what what the discussion was around about greening your fundraising efforts was not necessarily rocket science or – but – and also that it was sort of a a level of green – um, a shade of green, and that was sort of the the idea around the transition was that, and that was some of the examples that I provided there of other nonprofits that it's not an all, it's not a zero percent or hundred percent effort, but it's shades of green. It's let's transition into um, thinking a little bit more green from from what we were just talking about in terms of what what our audiences are demanding in terms of technology, in terms of even what our budgets are forcing us to do in terms of providing the resources to do some, you know, carry on some of our fundraising efforts. But um, the transition was really to demonstrate to people and show to people that there are shades of green, that you can, that this is a process that uh, you can do over time, that you can take steps towards and implement and uh, see how things how things are received, how things are working, um, and not you don't you know that there that, that you have some time to and can take the time and should take the time to transition to say um, you know from all direct mail piece to an all email solicitation. It's interesting in in your book. I, I think this is a, a very important theme to to highlight is that you do see this as incremental, that you do see this as something that you move and step towards rather than sort of the big big bang approach. It's like everything's green. As you said, shades of green where you you maybe become more green over time. Is that because it takes time to learn and integrate these tools into your organization? Is is that why you recommend an incremental approach? Uh, From many different perspectives, I would recommend that. I mean, you would want, depending on your audience, uh, we were just talking about 
younger donors, and that might be your audience, but your audience might also be an older generation um, of donors that aren't used to, are just transitioning themselves and are in different know acceptance levels of of the use of technology these days and have different capacities to to do that so um I think that's one of the one of the reasons why it's a good idea to have a transition because you want to have buy in from different constituencies in your organization you want to make sure that you're communicating with them in the way that they want to be communicated um, excuse me, and even for um budget purposes i mean if you know you would think that uh moving towards green would save you money, maybe it won't. So there might be some, or there might be some um, budget implications of making a transition. <coughs> Excuse me. That, um, for example, if you're going to enhance some of your technologies or website, that it might cost you a little bit money, more money <coughs> on the outset, um, but save you money in the long run. And it's because you're adding more tools over time, but it, is it possible that doing too much uh, at uh, at one time overwhelms your donor population or even confuses your, your donor population? Perhaps, yeah, because they're used to getting communication from you in one way, and if you change it, then they might they might miss it. They might not know it's you. Um, so I think that's also really something good to consider. And does that go back to um, what you were discussing in terms of different uh, age categories or, or understanding your own do- donor population up front uh, in terms of, you know, is it predominantly younger, is it predominantly older in terms of the speed at which you bring bring these uh, changes about? Yeah, absolutely. I just made a transition from at UC Davis from the Graduate School of Management to the School of Education. And the Graduate School of Management um, – 80% of their alumni were under 50. So you're going to want to talk to, you know, I always thought about that when I was when we were thinking about how we were going to communicate uh and everything from an invitation to a solicitation to um requesting a visit, requesting a meeting um at the School of Education, I you know, I would imagine that um because the school's been around much longer um well, the I would say the program has been around much longer. The school's been here for 10 years that um you know we have an older population um i would imagine overall than the, say the graduate school of management so we might think about different ways um we wanted to we want to take that into consideration about how they might want to be communicated with and and how do, how do you engage your your community or is or is this is this something that is an administrative function or is this something that is is brought about more organically so I'm sorry. Your um, how you want to be sorry. Say that again. In terms of the, your communication, is is right. this something that you you sort of decide you're going in this direction and you just start moving in that direction, or do you advise uh, engaging your community in in sort of the phasing in of these of these duties? Um, I would say that you definitely need buy-in. So um, speaking again as an example, the UC Davis School of Education. Um, I've been here two months now, and we've started to talk about um, I'm overseeing a team of fundraising and marketing professionals. And, um, you know, we've already started to have some of those conversations about moving more towards um, doing things online as opposed to sending out print invitations um, and print communications. But, um, you know, I'm hearing from them, from these folks who have been here for a number of years and know know our audience, know our alumni, know our constituency that, well, we might want to think about that. Um, 
because we do have some older populations. We do have some people that are used to receiving things in the mail and, you know, as I was just describing, might miss it, might not, you know, see an invitation if we are doing it online. So, um, you know, we're talking about how to phase that in, how to um, perhaps do a survey to um, ask people, you know, how they might want to be communicated with, to testing some email communications to see, um, and then doing some analytics to see, you know, what people click on, what, you know, do people open it, and, and try to um, match those together to make sure that we are communicating with people in a way that they're, you know, going to receive it. Well, your, your UC Davis uh, example is probably a good transition into, we do have an email question uh, from Anna in Philadelphia, and she's asking for your tips on greening nonprofit charity events. Mm. So there is, um, there is a chapter in the book specifically um, about events that goes into great detail. Um, but I did cover that a, just a, a little bit um, in one of the examples that I gave of um, there was a Democratic committee, actually, it's the Abington Rockledge, I think. They're in Pennsylvania. Democratic right. committee, and, and the the, um, the example that I actually so that's, And that's about, outside of Philadelphia, so it's uh, I know. Actually, <laughs> Anna's question. I know, it is. You might be able to get in contact with them. But um, they were they do a big event every year, and, um, and I guess it's been three or four years that they've been doing it now, where it's, it's an honoring, an honorary type event where they you know, honor community leaders and, and people who've made contributions that are valuable to the, to the organization. And um, they were looking for ways to um, save money but still get the impact. They had done a printed program, like many of us are used to at events, where it's sort of, you know, it could be an eight by, eight and a half by 11 glossy with, you know, 20, 30 pages with, and selling advertisements and sponsorships in the back, and it ends up being a really big production. Um, a lot of people end up, what they found was, and I had found in my own experience, is that a lot of times, you know, you spend all the time putting that together, and people pay for ads, and then the books get left. The programs get either left or thrown away. And so what they did was um, to transition to a PowerPoint presentation that was actually on display during the event. And so in the way that they pitched that to their sponsors was that in the same way, you know, come buy a sponsor, we'll, a sponsorship package, we'll put your advertisement in our PowerPoint presentation, and we will not only show it during the cocktail reception um, before the event starts, but you know, it'll sort of be in the background while the event is going on, and then afterwards in our thank you materials when we send out emails from the organization saying thank you for attending, they would send a copy of that presentation with them. So it sort of had a little bit, it had more legs, it had, you know, longer legs, <laughs> more legs even after the event was over, and people were more likely to, um, you know, to take a look at that. And I just actually heard from the, I was trying to, touch base with all of the organizations that I use as examples in my book since it's been a couple of years to see, you know, where they are today. And they said you know, they, they've run that event three years now and their profits have been up every year, um, thanks in part to, to that because they could take out a lot of their costs in terms of printing and design um, and put a lot of the, the, the sponsorship dollars back into the organization. That was one. So it sounds like they not only are, are reducing costs and reducing uh, a carbon footprint or, or damage to the environment, certainly killing fewer trees, um, but, but at the same time uh, potentially uh, increasing uh, the value to the sponsors and donors who were involved in the original Glossy book. 
Yeah, yeah. Because more and more people are going to be able to see that. Um, Adrian, I just wanted to uh, share a, a quick little reminder uh, with our listeners, uh, so we'll be right back. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. Adrian, we're, we're back. You have a, a number of uh, really terrific uh, uh, examples, as you said, uh, in, uh, in, in your, your particular chapter. Um, you said that you're reaching back to some of the folks in preparation for today. Wh- which are uh, the ones, or do you have one in mind that uh, maybe has, has advanced even further than they were before, or involvement in this uh, sort of uh, generated more interest in going green? Yeah, actually one that um, I know that you're familiar with, which is the Community Foundation for Palm Beach and Martin Counties in Florida. And um, they they definitely got um, really interested in the whole going green process. They actually started their, a community foundation that gives grants out to the local community um, organizations in Palm Beach and Martin Counties. Um, when I when I originally talked to them um, a couple years ago, they had started a program in 2008 uh, called the Going Green Contest, and so they would support or, nonprofit organizations in the community that um, were doing things in their own organization, taking steps towards going green. And different, they would give out. Um, I think they in the first year started with four awards, and they had about 25 applications that first year. Um, they gave out about $8,000. They solicited some sponsorships, some in-kind donations to be able to give out awards and prizes. The um, the next year, they um, gave out, I think, closer to six or seven awards, had more than doubled their applications, um, collected over $18,000, and actually had an event. And I was, I was emailing back and forth with a gentleman at the foundation that um, actually um, – runs this program, and this year um, they've had over $20,000 worth of sponsorships, and in total in the three or four years that they've been doing, I guess it's four years they've been doing this, they've given out over $73,000 and impacted 29 organizations in their in those two um, counties and so in supporting their, their greening efforts in all sorts of areas. And, um, and then the organization has actually gone through the Going Green Process and has been certified as a green. It has been certified exactly, and they were they were instrumental in bringing a number of other charities uh, to uh, the forefront yep. of the certification program. Yeah, so it's been really impressive what they've accomplished in the last three or four years. What they're and and, and being part of this uh, process certainly is, has increased their interest, and they they have advocated that across the board to uh, a number of organizations. In in your uh, your chapter, you cover a number of different uh, types of fundraising, and as you said, there's a chapter in the book specifically devoted to um, uh, special events. And so, I, you know, I hope that we did address a, a bit of uh, Anna's uh, question uh, in uh, about special events. But you also talk about major gift fundraising, um, and and I wondered what aspects of major gift plan giving programs uh, can go more green. Well, there's certainly any print materials associated um, with your program and major gifts and planned giving that, um, you know, as more and more could be used online. So 
for example, now we're sort of in that in that sort of shades of green kind of mode here at, at UC Davis, where we do do we do produce some of our some materials in print, but we put we make sure we put everything up on the web. So that and I've often used that in email communication. It's been extremely helpful. I find that I'm emailing PDFs or links more than I'm handing things out. Um, so that's really encouraging. And then I think, you know, what I focused on really about the major gifts, it's really about travel. It's really about, um, you know, when you're a major gift officer, plan giving officer, you're on the road. Um, and it's about really being, um, again, you know, as I said before, it's, it's not necessarily rocket science and we're kind of doing this for, even for other reasons, budgetary reasons and um, efficiency reasons, but it's reasons, but it's really just um, scheduling whole days, when you're going to be on the road, scheduling two days in a row, um, you know, and really you're not you're not advocating that major gift officers should not be visiting their donors. What what, what you're saying is, uh, you know, bulking up and and being more efficient in your travel as opposed to, you know, a, a lot of you know one way round trips, things of that sort, right. make it more of a, a day trip or have several visits and instead of going back and forth. Right. I, I don't think I don't ever. No matter where we go with technology, there's there's no way to replace a face-to-face -face meeting and building relationships in a face-to-face. Uh, -face. But there are ways to become more efficient, um, take advantage of other opportunities. So here at UC Davis, at the School of Education, we're taking more advantage of more opportunities of the dean's travel. So he was in Boston last week, and we reached out to some alumni. Um, I've done that in the past with other deans at UC Davis. We're doing that with the chancellor. Um, both looking at where you know, where they might be traveling to and then sort of looking at the reverse, where do we have concentrations of alumni that we could that it would be advantageous to actually schedule a trip and take advantage of a number of different opportunities. Um, create an event, have a couple one on one meetings, um to to really pack in the time and be as efficient as possible. I mean, it impacts a number of things. You know, one part is the greening; the other is budget and time. So it kind of hits a number of a number of uh, things with one stone. So, so it's about being more proactive and more planful in your approach, as opposed to, oh, I need to go see this person. I need to go see uh, that person. That by putting being green on the table, it changes the way that you do business. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And and is that by using, as you said, uh, piggybacking more on other people's travel and using surrogates, or are, are, as you said, you don't envision a time that fundraisers won't be doing face to face themselves? Yeah. No. I just, I mean, the the impact um, of developing relationships face to face. I just, I don't see any way that you know, even over the computer, I mean, you know, even if you could see somebody over the computer, you do iChat or Skype or whatever. I mean, I just it's not the same. It's just not the same. Um, so I don't I don't think that we'll in any time in the foreseeable future we'll be replacing face to face meetings. So it really it is really a matter of how do we get more efficient? How do, as you say, how do we be more planful? How do we be be more strategic? How do we and and even do that across um schools and units, across um you know, a number of different, uh, you know, departments and, and development colleagues, you know, at a university setting or at a larger institution work together as well, look sort of beyond their own 
And that works regardless of size of organization, doesn't it, in terms of uh, being more thoughtful across the board and and utilizing assets for visits that might just not be the the major gift officer uh, but may, in fact, be coordinating the efforts of others. Absolutely. I mean, somebody that's an event planner – so, for example, here at UC Davis, we have the California Alumni Association, and they uh, predominantly are, you know, alumni relations, um, and so they may plan events around the country, and they are definitely very in very good contact with the development officers across the campus to to know um, let that let us know where when they're, they're planning to planning to be in different areas around the country, so that we can uh, look at our own group of alumni and and, uh, donors and think about who we might want to see in those areas, who might be appropriate for events that they might be planning there and activities that they might be planning. So it's actually a win-win for both groups. Right, because really, they get together. more exposure and and uh, and outreach, and and you're not only saving, as you said, budgets get tighter and tighter. Um, but I think a lot of listeners uh, today are probably relieved to know that your your advice as a professional in this area is that those personal visits are still important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just a programming note, uh, Adrian, is just to uh, let our listeners know that once a month here on the Nonprofit Coach, we do have this special green show to draw attention to experts and to help your organization obtain practical advice on going green. The next green show is scheduled for December 16th, and that's at 1 p.m. Eastern. Our guest on the green show on December 16th is uh, our fellow author, Adrian, here in the Nonprofit Guide to Going Green, Glenn Croston is going to be with us. He is a noted expert on green business communication, strategy, and business practices, and he's author of a number of books, uh, including a a chapter in uh, the Nonprofit Guide to Going Green, Uh, but he's also author of the books, 75 Green Businesses That You Can Start to Make Money and Make a Difference, uh, and Starting Green on Echo Entrepreneur's uh, Toolkit to Starting a Green Business from Business Plan to Profits. Uh, So uh, it's certainly an expert in green communications. And I think in some way that draws me uh, to my next question uh, for you, Adrian, and that's uh, specifically sort of the the base, if you will, of, of fundraising is those things, those tools and tips that you have specifically about the annual fund and fundraising. Yeah, there's um again, you know, a lot of the a lot of these um conversations about greening have really started because of uh technology and budget, but they certainly have the same impact um at at the bottom line. And the um what I talked about in that annual fund section and, and the examples that I gave was um about a shades of another shades of green story about um taking how you might transition your annual fund program, which has been traditionally direct mail, um, and moving it more towards email and social media. And uh, I was actually talking to a colleague earlier who was a consultant in New York, and she works does a lot of work um, with nonprofits or around their annual fund. And she, we were talking about how direct, direct mail is still a very viable uh, fundraising approach. It still um, produces results for a lot of organizations, and really, what what she was saying is that there's um, there's really no equivalent for brokering email addresses, um, email lists, 
in the way that you do traditionally with mailing lists, uh, which was actually really surprising to me that, you know, for acquisition purposes, there's no, you know, that organizations are still having to buy um, and do research with mailing lists. So, um, you know, that, that is still in the works and that technology is still not there. Yeah, so direct mail is still being used, but I, I liked the example here. This was the United Way of York County in South Carolina. And yeah, tell us about what, what they're doing and how uh, their annual um, appeal became more green. Yeah, so if you're familiar with uh, the, how the United Way works, um, you know, their employer, and um, they go out into different um companies and businesses in the area and solicit donations for um through you know the one time gifts through uh, payroll deduction to support a particular org- support a pool that United Way might give out to area organizations or if they had a particular organization that they'd like to support you know a payroll deduction that would what that would support that organization or one time gift and so they had a number of and I'm I'm familiar with this um from my first position at the Boys and Girls Clubs in Richmond, Virginia, we were a United Way organization. And um, they have a lot of forms. They would, you know, The United Way would go out, the representatives would go out to different businesses, and they have all these um, pledge forms and materials that they'd hand out. And, um, uh, you know, just like the um, Democratic Committee found with their event, you know, these forms would get left on the table and then end up getting thrown away. And so um, their first step was really to be – take the step to be more concise with their form, get everything down to one page or two pages from four pages, you know, reconfigure a a pledge letter or, excuse me, a pledge uh, remittance envelope to be as efficient as as possible. And then um, secondarily, they were were starting to accept pledges on on, – online so that you could, you know, you could take that piece of paper, but then you could also – pledge and fulfill that um, through their website. So I think it was just a great example of, you know, they didn't just yank all the paper and say we're just doing this all online and here's where you have to go, but they were sort of taking steps to, um, you know, be more efficient, be more effective, um, produce less paper, and and that was sort of testing it. That was a way for them also to test with their constituency about, you know, and, and getting them to transition more towards web as opposed to just sort of cold turkey saying this is the only way we're doing it now. So I thought it was Yeah, uh, and again that topic of transitioning over time uh comes into your plan and your approach uh for charities and that that really comes down to a sensitivity to the needs and the desires of your particular donor population. Mhm. Absolutely. I mean you need yeah. you need buy-in, you need support from your your donors and your supporters and your board and even um, staff and faculty and your organization to do those sorts of things and be and communicate with them, or else you'll you'll miss the communication opportunity with them. And, and do you find over time that it changes expectations? Um, changes expect their expect the your yeah. expectations of well of course because you're uh, I would think so I mean that you're taking their wishes and and needs into account you would think that um, you know over time that they would they would um, sort of move with you 
while you're having, you know, you're having that discussion with them, you want their input on how they want to be communicated with. You're going to test new things, but react to um, or respond to how they react to things and changes and adjust accordingly. I think then that naturally produces, um, you know, a higher level of, um, you know, buy-in and desire to work with you. And, and possibly over over time to actually uh, grow in their expectation that things will become even more green. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Well, I think um, in uh, in each of the incremental steps that you talked about for uh, greening your fundraising program, it seems that it's it's not even really much of an issue um, unless you deploy the technology. So it's not. The greening is not much of an issue unless you. Yeah, I mean, it's in, in, in ter- it's not really possible for charitable organizations to truly green their their uh, their fundraising program without deploying technology. Certainly, but even in the last two three years since we you know since I wrote this chapter and we put this book together, I mean, you think about all of the. Um, Things that have even just become available in the last two or three years to smaller nonprofits, to all volunteer nonprofit organizations, to those with small budgets, um, to take advantage of technology. It's becoming the different types of technology are more. There's a wide wider variety. There's more access. Things cost less. So um, I think that the, you know there's a tremendous advantage that smaller nonprofits can take. Um, more so than ever, and, and I think that trend will continue. That's great. When we uh, come back from uh, this break, Adrian, I want to I talk specifically about that topic in terms of what is available now and, and what are some of the opportunities that, that are sort of pushing this down from larger organizations that have a budget to be able to invest in going green to some of the simple suggestions that you have and some of the technologies are, that are now available for charities um, to be able to uh, start becoming more green in their fundraising program. We're going to be uh, right back. We've got uh, – Uh, something to give away here. So we'll be right back. on the Nonprofit Coast, the Green Show, in partnership with Green Nonprofits. Those of you who receive the Green Nonprofits newsletter, of which you can register for free at greennonprofits.org, know that uh, the Green Nonprofits organization regularly has uh, a giveaway program, uh, which is uh, supported by the R.K. Mellon Foundation. So we thank uh, the folks at R.K. Mellon who are making it possible for us to give away a copy of the Nonprofit Guide to Going Green. Uh, Those who have submitted their name for uh, the drawing for today's show. Uh, We're entered into a drawing, and the person who is the winner today, congratulations to Nancy Bahamades, uh, who is uh, with uh, Clean Tech Open. Uh, so congratulations, Nancy. The copy of the Nonprofit Guide to Going Green uh, is on its way. And for all of you, uh, there will be another drawing uh, for our December Green Show. So make sure that you are receiving the Green Nonprofits newsletter and follow the instructions in the newsletter on how you can be part of that drawing. And we're going to go right back to page two on the show. <laughs> Adrian, before we 
took a little break, um, you were telling us uh, how uh, technology really is making going green ever more available to charities, regardless of size of budget. Um, what are some of the, the things that are more that are available now that maybe weren't available even when we contemplated this book that allow charities to now consider becoming more green? Well, I definitely wouldn't uh, say that I'm any kind of expert in technology by far, but sort of following the trends, um, you know, as they come out. But I just see with um, this smaller all-volunteer organization that I'm uh, the treasurer of, SWISH, um, out of New York, um, we sort of by uh, default started as a paperless organization because we had no, you know, zero dollars to put into creating anything in print um, and barely had, a, you know, some money to put together a website. And But just it's just amazing even in the last two or three years in my work on the board what we've been able to do as a small organization, um, budget well less than a million dollars, um, in taking advantage of, you know, there's there's even things that we do pay for that we're just um, joining on with a a new database and event management system that does cost a little bit of money, but very manageable for a small organization like us. Um, and how many things, how many components of that are over the web um, using technology? We were just, I was just talking with um, one of my fellow board members about that and how we're, you know. At our, at our event in a, coming up in a couple of weeks, we're going to be using um, an iPad to have people sign up for the mailing list, make donations, sign pledges for ad, you know, advocacy-type pledges right there at, at an event. And all of that information will go into an iPad and get loaded into our database. And so it's just amazing you know, the, the different forms and different types of, you know, that you can get people to um, use through your website and using these technologies that will capture information about, uh, you know, for donations, for getting rallying people around different causes. And um, it's, just, it's just really amazing what I've seen in the last, and just all the social media that's out there now in terms of being able to communicate. I, don't, I haven't seen a lot of research studies saying that um, there's a tremendous amount of fundraising um, effectiveness using Facebook, Twitter, all of that, but certainly communication, certainly rallying people around, um, get, disseminating, inf disseminating information quickly. Um, I think that's, uh, you know, that's definitely changed a lot, and a lot of these things are completely free. Well, and, and, and that really does change, uh, it's sort of a game-changing for uh, charitable organizations and that instead of technology sort of being the back office or the, the database where we keep information, it's now sort of becoming much more front and center that that, that it almost is, is an intermediary uh, of communication and donations uh, between you know, websites and charities and their supporters. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it makes, yeah, it makes things a lot more integrated, um, a lot more seamless. I mean, a, an organization like SWISH can be um, effectively a lot bigger um, externally to its external audience than it really is because it can be so much more integrated on the back end um, in terms of, you know, websites to email communications, e-newsletters, all of that. I mean, it looks the branding, the, the the level of communication is exceptional. And, and and these tools of social media are part of what 
is game-changing for going green uh, in that what what used to take a lot of printed uh, publications and and I guess uh, certainly the uh, the postal service in the United States is feeling uh, the pressure of less being mailed um, less paper being uh, uh, shared with people because it's it, as you said with your example of of swish um, is it, it it is increasingly possible if not entirely practical for uh, charitable organizations to go paperless yeah absolutely uh, yeah I mean I I my heart goes out to the post office because I mean it's just uh you know I can remember years and years of uh and early on in my career that it, that was that was I was dependent upon that bulk mail uh reduced rate <laughs> for nonprofits but I can't remember the last time I ever did a you know that we have gone through that very very infrequent these days and so there's a lot of pressure there um, and I, I know that the post office is you know, trying to reinvent itself and create new ways to develop revenue. But um, yeah, I, I think it's a, a losing proposition because more and more, you know, even as we were just talking in the last two or three years about where technology has gone and how much more has gone online, um, I think you know, that's that's going to certainly not stop anytime soon. But you, you also use the example, Adrian, that uh, while lots of things are changing, certainly the use of technology allows charities to become ever more green. Um, technology is not killing direct mail. Yeah, well, um, I I think that's just a matter of time. I mean, I guess when I was talking to my colleague, she was saying that, um, you know, that it's hard to – you know, there's still opportunity for you to buy email lists. It's just hard to convert those people into donors. It's good for advocacy-type organizations to rally people around a cause, signing a petition, um, you know, getting the word, disseminating information quickly, but um, it's really hard to convert those people into donors the way you would send out a, you know, an initial direct mail piece to acquire a new donor. And so I think it's just a matter of... Um, you know, fig- figuring out the the equation to make that work, and it's really just a matter of time before, um, you know, we, the, I think the trend will continue, um, and direct mail will become less and less effective. But it's yeah. not there yet. Well, and certainly, um, I think the integration of online and offline mm-hmm. uh, becomes a, an important issue for for charities yep. uh, to consider uh, both. And, and I guess we go back to some of the themes that that uh, of your chapter, and that is. Uh, making this incremental, but also um, the the different influences on um, going green, that one of them is budget, uh, but certainly uh, another is expectations of your donor base uh, in terms of how environmentally sensitive you are. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is a serious consideration. You, you definitely have to be cognizant of your audience and who you're talking to and how they want to be communicated with while you're contemplating um, for budget reasons, for technology reasons, for going green reasons, taking, you know, taking the print equation more and more out of your program. Because you, you may find yourself getting some pushback from, uh, from your own uh, supporters um, who are not looking to, to see you in their post box. Right. Absolutely. And I think it's you know it can be if done properly you know an opportunity to educate them transition um, and as we were sort of discussing before testing getting their feedback and um, moving them 
you know, if they need to be, if it's not a something that they are necessarily open to by um, having that discussion with them and having the conversation to, to let them know that you care about what they, how they want to be communicated with, that you can help, you know, shift and mold their um, expectations and, and uh, what they want from the organization by, by having that conversation. So in, in some ways it's going to be, you know, like, for example, with SWISH and with a, with a number of other organizations, it's, you know, the nature of the audience or um, how you were sort of started and that's the way you communicate, if, it, if uh, you know, that's always been online and always been through email or, or social media, then it's not going to be hard to introduce another facet. But if it's never been done that way, you know, it will take time. Well, that's a, a great place uh, to uh, end our show. Uh, it's amazing how fast uh, time goes uh, when you're talking about such important topics. Adrian Caps uh, is currently the Assistant Dean for Development and External Relations at UC Davis School of Education and has been my guest here on the special edition of the Nonprofit Coach, The Green Show. Adrian, thank you so much for being our guest here on the show. Uh, we will be back uh, with The Green Show on uh, December 16th and the nonprofit coach will be back next Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern. Adrian, thank you for being my guest today. Thanks so much, Ted. You bet. Take care, everyone. You See too. you on Tuesday for the next nonprofit coach show. You've been listening to the nonprofit coach radio show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to the nonprofit coach. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.